You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is On Principle Challenges in Jewish Education with my good, good friend, my dear friend, Rabbi Yitzchok Adlerstein in Yerushalayim. Most of you will be hearing this it's a man really to be misbeine and why we're not all in Eretz Yisrael, why Tishabov is not a Yom Simcha, why we're not heralding the, the Mashiach. We're still stuck in Golas Edom, right? We're still stuck in Golas Edom, despite everything around us, Golas Edom still is what we are contained in. And we know that Edom for years was the Christian fist that was squeezing us, the Christian boot that was on our neck. And ultimately, it's the Christian velt that is really, in a way, the face of Golas Edom. And you sent me an article, Rabbi Yitzchak, a couple of uh, weeks ago about a, a little brouhaha uh, about uh, Haredi and other sorts of Yiddish Hevra who make a habit, seemingly, of spitting near and at churches in Yerushalayim and throughout Eretz Yisrael. And it was turned into somewhat of a news story. What the article tried to do, and I, I, I think there were very, very well, very well-meaning article, but I think there were a number of flaws in it, one of which is that it, it sort of gave uncritical support to the idea that these attacks were growing out of particular sub-communities in the Orthodox world. That's something I would take strong exception to. So settlers were getting uh, branded as religious fanatics who teach their kids hostility to anything that's uh, that's not Jewish, especially Christianity, and Haredim, who, of course, hate everybody. So who are the people? From what element of Israeli society are these people coming from? Well, I, I think it's important to hold open the the question, and I'll, I'll do more than hold open the question. I think I'll give the answer, is that it's not a particular group or subgroup, but it is it is it is people who are extreme or a little bit off. Uh, we're a very, very large community. And that means we have a lot of people who are really off. And some of them, yes, do come from elements within the uh, the so-called settler community or the Dati Lumi world. It is not something that is taught in Dati Lumi schools, and it's not something that's taught in the wild west of Yehuda and Shamron. Uh, some of the settler leaders were very, very vocal about how this is not us, but we don't have control over all of our kids. You, you, can you point to any group, any community out there that has real control over all of its kids? You think we're a large, large community and people have, have time on their hands. And yes, if you're looking for trouble, it's easy to, to take part of the message of your community and to distort it and say, this is our land and the rest of the world hates us. And by golly, we're going to assert our authority here and show everybody else what we, uh, what, what we think of them. But it, they don't speak for a community. And Haredim, 
Haredim who do it. And it's true. There are kids who have been taught to, we hate Goyim. That's a mantra you hear all the time. Anything Goyish is, you know, terrible. Is it possible that, you know, the, the Christian minority, because they aren't ready to attack you, with a with a some sort of you know homemade bomb or with an SUV uh, turned into a weapon is it possible that they represent an easier punching bag than let's say spitting at a mosque or going uh, near an Arab settlement? Yes, no. I think your 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 point is well taken and very perceptive. Yes, they are convenient punching bags, but there are kids around who, when they have the same opportunity. To, to mistreat uh, an, an, an Arab or, or just a non-Jew will do the same thing. There was a marvelous article. I, I wish I could tell you they have an online presence, but they don't. But there was a very, very good halacha journal coming out of Williamsburg called, I think, Pa'amonim. And uh, a number of years ago, somebody wrote a analysis of the halachic obligation to hate all, all non-Jews. And a person responded with two separate articles. He said, "Was there was a base medrash in the neighborhood, and it was a very, very, very hot day, and uh, an Arab worker came in to go over to the faucet to take a glass of water, and they threw him out. And he said, I, I can't believe it. B'nai Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, particularly Avram, do they consider themselves B'nai Avram that would turn down a, another human being who wanted water on a day? Which is a byproduct, I think, of a siege, overall siege mentality. Absolutely. That is, Absolutely. which, which actually wafts through even the liberal community in Israel. There is a sense, you know, that we are under siege. We have to recognize that. And it manifests itself in so many ways. You don't have to turn far to see the Gedele America consistently pushing a message for the Haredi Shevelt, for the Frumvelt, for the Yeshiva Velt, to, to be a beacon of Chesed and Rachmanis. And, and I, I don't, I, I would take issue with the idea that they're doing it to be a beacon of light. They did it because it's the right thing, because this is Tselemelokim. And, and we respect that Tselemelokim. And that, that, that's, you, you don't treat the human being that way. And when you do, you're, you're degrading even your own sense, you know, uh, Rav Schwab used to, to say, if you teach your kids that, uh, you know, Goyim, what's a guy? So when you tell them then that, ah, you're a Yid. So what does the kid absorb? The kid absorbs that I'm better. But if you teach a kid that a non-Jew is selling a little kid and, and that, and that he's a something and, and, and that there's greatness there. And you are privileged as being part of Kal Yisrael. You have a gift of a, of a, of a special neshama that, that's even more advanced than that. Then you're giving your kid something. What's interesting is that the author of this article felt that the writings, even of someone on the left, sort of like Rav Avinair, have not gone far enough. And this is, I think, the challenge that you posed to me was the the central theme of this article is that the reason why these responses are falling on deaf ears is because the understanding of the Christian mentality is 
they they really hate us. They really are the same people who helped the Nazis throw us into the crematoria, but they're fraud Salamalikim. And therefore, the author felt that it's never going to work until we do a reassessment of Christian theology, even about what they feel about us, that we aren't the wandering hated Jew anymore, and that Jews, Haredim, the whole spectrum, need to get an educational course in what modern Christianity believes about their Jewish brethren. And that's why I turn to you, especially, you live in this space. You are the director of interfaith relations for the, the Simon Wiesenthal Center. So I, 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 there are two points that he made. One of them is right on, and the other one, I think, misses the mark by, by a mile. I think there was too much buy-in that this is a problem of chinuch. And if we give, gave kids a different chinuch about Christianity, they'd be behaving differently. I, I, I think that what, what we're seeing is kids with too much time on their hands and that the chinuch sort of wouldn't matter really. As far as whether Christianity is different today than the Christianity of people we knew and hated in the past, there he really is onto something. Not that all of Christianity has changed, but it is hard to deny that today there are literally tens of millions, perhaps hundreds of millions of Christians who are not anti-Semitic, who are proud of their Jewish roots, who cherish it. They're not going to convert, but they see a kind of kinship uh, between between themselves, especially the more serious Christians with Judaism, and in a time and age in which all religion is now mocked and derided. It's not just Jews anymore. You know, they're they're in it also. So things things have changed. Things have definitely changed in our lifetime. You know, I understand that. Some of the things that I find problematic in what he wrote was that despite you know the changes from the Vatican and maybe other Christian leaders, the essential idea. We don't blame Jews for Jesus's death anymore. We don't say the Jews are the pariah of society. But deep down, we know that there is a belief that the world will be saved and the Jews will all convert back to the ultimate truth and accept Jesus. Even some of the liberal Christian theologians who have extended a hand of friendship Deep down, they still believe that we are on the wrong side of history as far as that goes. We just aren't to be considered a violent enemy or something to be eradicated. And that, I think, when whoever it is knows about that, it's hard to just embrace them in friendship and understanding when we realize that deep in their I don't know if it's their theology or it's 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 their catechisms, is that we are everyone is going to become part of this great Christian. A beatification at the end. So let me push back. Whatever changes were made in various churches and different denominations did it in different ways, don't become too optimistic. Something I have to tell myself all the time. Vatican II could say whatever it wants about anti-Semitism being a sin and how Jews are not collectively responsible for the deicide. It doesn't mean that church teaching gets down to every person in every church 
or even to every priest or pastor in every, in every church. There's still a heck of a lot of old fashioned anti-Semitism around that is built on the idea that Jews are collectively responsible for the sin of deicide. That can't be, is not going to be removed so, so quickly. Second, you left out the other major threat. The, the two things that did Jews in for hundreds of years under church rule were the claim that we killed Jesus and replacement theology. That yes, the God of the Old Testament is our God as well. Uh, but that left them with a problem. You have so many references to God's covenant with the Jewish people that they had a problem. What are they going to do with these Jews who God has a covenant with? So somebody came up with a chat, probably had a Jewish lawyer, said, no, we're the new Jews. And uh, what happens to the old Jews? Well, they could have been just, uh, <laughs> you know, one, one day they'll see the light. But that's not what happened. If Jews missed their opportunity, they missed big. And they were out of the game entirely, worthless, worthless. That's called replacement theology or supersessionism. There has been a return to supersessionism in a variety of churches. Some of it is political. The Palestinians, the Palestinian Christians in particular, push it left and right and claim that uh, evangelicals who are close to Israel are betraying their proper faith because Jews are out of it. But there are tens of millions who reject that. They don't always work out the theology. I've been asking friends in the Christian world for many, many years, what do you do with, you know, with replacement theology? I remember one time a very, very talented black itinerant preacher used to go around from city to city. And I asked him, what do you say? He leans over the table and he said, anybody who says that has not read the Bible from cover to cover. They can't take the Bible seriously. And you do have not tens or thousands or tens of thousands, but millions who have come to the same conclusion that replacement theology is nonsense. And, you know, I, I, I don't figure out, can't figure out all the theology, but that's not God's word and it's not God's will. And they have a warm place for Israel because of their love of scripture. And we're not just talking about something that's kind of theoretical. Should we change attitudes? Should we become a little bit more open? We haven't even talked about the practical matters. But the truth is, we don't even have time for that because we need the derech hateva. We need their assistance to keep this fragile little ship of state, of, of the Jewish state, afloat in very, very stormy seas. Very important people in the Haredi world have told me, when I was skeptical about what I was doing, is it just the Parnassah? Is this something that, that we do? Is this part of our Hishtadlis? And they looked at me like I was crazy. And they said, it's a matter of Sakana for us to keep, to keep them as our friends and allies. To think that a person is so obtuse, so stupid, as to endanger 
the entire Jewish world by something like that, by yelling at a, at a prelate from another religion in Yerushalayim, not think of the consequences, is madness. So that's not just the question of education. That says something about, I don't know, about where the heads of certain people are or are not. First, let's talk about the last thing that you said. And it really is part of this incredible reality that these mega churches, the, the evangelical churches that are so prevalent in the United States, in the South, in the Southeast, in the Southwest, the amount of money that these churches have and the willingness of their congregants to give towards those causes is so powerful, as you're saying, we need those funds. We need those funds to come in to, in some ways, to still those funds to various causes for things in, in the state of Israel. Ah, another Jew. All you Jews ever think about is money. No, I'm not talking money. I'm talking about power. I'm talking about influence. I'm talking about who gets on the phones and calls those legislators. No, which is, which is also money, right? For Butzkuk, it's also the fact that these churches, if these, if this would be the churches in Appalachia that, you know, that they could barely put a, a punch of tin corrugated metal together, they wouldn't have the power in Washington with Ted Cruz and many of the other senators to be able to push for various things happening in, in, in the legislature. And their votes. And their votes. Their votes. In 1948, it wasn't Jewish influence that got Truman to do the right thing after the Declaration of Independence. The phones were ringing and ringing and ringing with Christians calling, Christian supporters of Israel. And, and they trumped the State Department back then. So, so, so I, I understand that. What I think, if the message you, you mentioned before, the message of the Palestinian Christians is that there's been a conflation of the tenets of the Torah with the modern Israeli. And the modern Israeli has been portrayed as a bacchanalian creature, right? The, the beaches of Tel Aviv, the fact is, is that they don't keep the Sabbath at all, that, 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 that it's been hijacked. And therefore, what they are preaching is you Christians who, who are supporting the Jewish people, this this is not a people worthy of the Old Testament covenant, much less the new covenant that Jesus heralded. Another very perceptive observation there. And 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 that I think is a that I think is some sort of kitrug that we should think about because you know the Zohar Kodesh speaks constantly about uh the Koach of Yishmoel on the Makomas Hakadosh. And if you read, you don't have to read between the lines, you realize that we are still encrusted by the Averos that are, are not giving us control over those places. There's a reason why somehow there's a disconnect between Kedusha Sa'aretz and all of its splendor, and we, the caretakers, supposedly, of that Kedusha. So it, 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 we have to be scared when we hear things like this. But yes, it's not, <laughs> these are the people you think are the people of the Bris? And then we can, you know, start with Jeffrey Epstein down, right? And take it over to Eretz Yisrael and everything else. And people will say, yes, this is, this is a, this is not the people of the book. I have a, I have a friend who, uh, whose grandfather started 
a whole network two generations ago in Mexico of pro-Israel churches. His, his grandson is a very, very effective and very pro-Israel pastor. He once took a small group to Israel. He's been to Israel many times. And uh, somebody who was born an Indian Muslim, later converted to Christianity, came under his, his influence, and he came along on the trip. So he, it disturbed him how, how often he mentioned Jews, Jews in Israel and his, his, his friendly attitudes towards them. So he said, I don't get it, Pastor. Why, why, why do you support the Jews here in Israel? Jews don't even believe in God which was his experience. So my friend did the following. He took the guy and he dropped him at the hotel at three in the morning and said, I'm going to come back to you in a few hours. So the guy's at the hotel, three in the morning. And what does he see? Not hundreds of people, but a nice number of people coming and pouring their hearts out to the rebellious wall, standing in front of the hotel. When he picked them up a few hours later, he said, I got it. Jews apparently do believe in God. So you, what you're saying is certainly true. That's the, the mega issue, that if we were Zohar, if we were the people we should be, then Mashiach would be here. Then we would have control of all these places. But in the short run, in the short run, at least we shouldn't be making things worse. As you said, it's, isn't it ironic that the people who most could represent the nobility of our religion are the ones that are being, that are spitting on the Christians, right? Yeah. The, 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 the secular Israeli, he's no different than the guy next door uh, to this guy in Texas who, who never goes to church on Sunday, right? But it's the, it's the religious Jew. It's the Haredi Jew who could be the dugma of, yes, this is what the reason why there's a state of Israel to allow this to happen. And if they are against us, if they spit on us, right? So, you know, there's really, like you say, the support isn't there. You know what I'm thinking, Rabbi another point, just responding to what you said before. I asked you about the ultimate theological end of days. And you sort of tap danced around it, but I, I, I understand the answer. Many of your friends, the people that you've made common cause with, they don't necessarily dwell on that part of of, the, of their theology. They, they're, it's almost like, you know, what was happening in South America, where it was almost about let's change the here and now, let's change the facts on the ground. The people who fought uh, for the freedom of so many of those uh, states that were under uh, dictatorship, the churches that were fighting there, they weren't preaching about the next world. They were mm-hmm. preaching about turning these countries that they were living in into havens of God. And I think that, that, that there's almost like a secular sense of bringing a, a, without Jesus appearing necessarily, there's a sense of using the, the Christian values and inserting them more into day-to-day life. And I think that's where we're making common cause. Yeah, it's sort of like that part of the equation 
of everybody becoming a Christian at the end. We sort of like putting that in the back of our brain. And what we're working again is let's work with these Jews who do such a great job articulating what a vision of a, of, 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 of a kind and noble society should be like. You know, I'm, I'm in this way reminded of another person that we need so much. I'm sure you agree with me was a terrible, terrible loss to the Jewish world. Jonathan Sachs. He became the voice of sane religion, of deeply thought through religion. And Christians, not just evangelicals, went wild for him. He used to speak at their conclaves. And I've heard this again and again and again from friendly Christians. They said that he was the showstopper. Yeah. That nobody else held a, held a candle to, to him. I think Jonathan Sachs is sort of the antidote to the problem that we're talking about. Yes, and what he was able to accomplish, the number of people he turned around, he, he spoke the, the kernel truths of Torah that were meant to be universal. I have to throw this in just so that people shouldn't think that we're wild-eyed uh, optimists here. As I said before, it's not every Christian who's turned around there are many who have, but many who have not. More, more extreme than them are the people who are still doing proselytizing and who are actively proselytizing in the community. We can't, we can't afford to let our guard down for a second, not for a second. One of the advantages of dealing with the Christian community is that most of us will Say from day one, we'll spell it out, if you have any kind of connection, direct or indirect, with groups that are proselytizing to Jews, our relationship is over. There's some people out there who point accurately to, to, to missionaries operating here, and they therefore say every, every non-Jew, every Christian who's here, don't trust any of them. They're all out to proselytize when really what's behind them is exactly what you said before, that there is, there's an active way of spreading the good news by going door to door, by handing out Bibles. And then there is the vast majority of the Christian world that says, no, the, the obligation to spread the good world means that I should be a good Christian. I should live by the tenets of the uh, of of scripture and people should know that it's coming not from a natural tendency to goodness but the teaching of the lord and it's the lahavdil it's the same thing that we teach our kids when they say but we're supposed to be in orla goyim should we be out there preaching and we say no we say it's enough if we act in a way that other people when they look in at our community they say wow this is a this is a great people this is people blessed by their relationship with God. Exactly the same thing. Look, we know what they think their end game is going to be. And they know that we leave shul three times a day, and we say, We don't mean by that they, they should go to church on Sunday. But we're not out there preaching to them. That's part of the end game. And HaKadosh Baruch should bring it, the neighbor of Yemenu. But uh, most of them have given up on the direct approach. We cannot let our guard down about those who still take the direct approach. 
I, I, you know, I, I understand that as we both grew up, especially I, a little bit younger than you, remembered the surge in Jewish messianism of the late 60s and 70s. The Jews for Jay were everywhere. And I'm just wondering, and again, you know, maybe the answer is you're not sure, but of the organizations you've dealt with, have, have they been willing to come out directly and condemn the proselytizing, the Jewish messianism, or are they just, or, or you, you put them in a bind by asking them to do that? I will give you two examples. One of them is the, is the evangelical name known to most Jews. That's John Hagee in, uh, in San Antonio, Texas, who had a very close relationship with Rav Scheinberg, Sikran Lavracha. And it took years, but he, he told John Hagee, if you have anything to do with proselytizing, that's, that's where a mechitza between us begins. And eventually he got John Hagee to buy it. He told him about the history of it and how offensive it is to Jews and all that. And John Hagee backed off and actually took a lot of heat from a lot of people, but he stood his ground so that an active source of proselytizing dried up because to him, it was more important to have the relationship with the Jews. That's one. The other is a small organization known as the Catholic Church. It is still the largest Christian denomination in the world. It, it took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Purists will say anti-Semitism was never part of the agenda. Vatican II didn't really change anything. But the Catholic Church did a, a slow evolution but especially under the the guidance of uh of John Paul II and and uh and and the predecessor Benedict also John Paul II came about after Vatican II right but John John Paul II made it a living thing by Lamaisa. Yeah. it wasn't just something on the books but it you know every now and then somebody will prod them and say so what do you hold about the Jews so about three years ago, there was a document. Church is very cagey, so they didn't release it from the Pope's office. They did it from the Commission on Relationship with the Jews. So it was a group of scholars that released it. I, I was very impressed with it because the, the upshot of it was, they said, listen, we have two realities, two teachings that are very, very important to us. One of them is that there's no way to the Father, except through us. It gotta be through us. We're the gatekeepers. At the same time, there is another principle which we hold just as dearly, which is the reality is it, it, it the chush is made that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a living relationship with the Jewish people Ad Hayom Hazeh. And that they are not in need as much of proselytizing as other people. So they said these two principles, these two principles seem to clash head on. It's a problem. We'll leave it to theologians in the future to try to resolve the tension. But that's not going to stop us from living with both realities at the same time. I thought that was somewhat courageous, but they basically said that Jews don't need proselytizing as much as other people. So lay off them. Well, that's, I didn't know about this. Despite the almost 80 years since 
the the events, I would have to say that part of what gives them the surety that we have this relationship that is immutable and can't be shaken is the Holocaust and the failure of the Holocaust to wipe us out. If if the Holocaust is true, and we know it is, because no other event has been so carefully documented by its perpetrators, the only answer could be is, if you thought they should be destroyed, why weren't they destroyed then? The reason they weren't is because God is proving to the world we are indestructible, we are we do represent him and that he wants us and he loves us and cares for us. And I, I think that must be part of it. And, and to add a flourish to that, that there are theological implications for Christians as Christians in that. How so? A dear Anglican friend of mine, it's a very, very, very pro-Jewish and pro-Israel professor, wrote once, he said, if you ask a Christian, what proof does he have that God keeps his promises even to undeserving people? Can you point to anything? Hey, you want to believe it? Of course you believe it. Bring me a raya. He says there's only one raya, and that is his covenant with the Jewish people. That through the ups and downs, especially through the downs, God has kept his covenant. So that has to give you some assurance that if you do the right thing, that God is going to reward you as well. Right, that sort of inverted version of we being the witnesses and testifying. It's not that we're testifying. We are the inspiration that yeah. you can continue to believe. You know, I had a joke in my head when you sent me this article, because he said, I seem to recall that the posek of the last generation, Rebel Yoshev, had also condemned spitting on churches. So I did what I usually do when I hear a name that I'm so fond of. And I said, where can I find Rebel Yoshev ever responding to this? It must be somewhere. So I went, of course, to the ultimate source for all researchers today, the Oitzra Chochma, and I tried El Yoshev, Neitzrim, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I did not discover this letter. I don't know, perhaps it exists somewhere. But I did discover from the wonderful book, Ashrayesh, which is a collection of the thousands and thousands of psokim that Rebbe Yoshev gave, especially after he left the Rabbanut. And I discovered in Yoridea, where Hilchas Avodah is, a number of interesting statements from Rebel Yoshev. So I just want to mention them to you and get sort of your response on a couple of them. One of them uh, I thought was in itself very realistic of what a POSIG should be thinking about. The question came up about a, a kiosk owner or someone who has a, uh, we call it bodegas over here, but these little Mercado stands. And he also, since he is catering to a Christian community, could he sell items that have the cross on it? Or is that a problem of Lifnaiver that you are generating and more avodazar in the world? Rebel Yashiv, if you read the answer, he's not he's not going to say, I applaud what you're doing, but he says it really is not. It's a tachshit. Ultimately, the Christians of today, when they have their they buy their trinket, which is which has the cross, not an image of Jesus. We're not talking about uh, the image of Jesus on the cross, but just the cross itself is basically a tachshit. And therefore, it, 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 it is, it is, it, there's no isser in selling it. 
And clearly, he laughed at the Shaila about stamps that were printed, I guess, in Eretz Yisrael, that also had the cross on it, in a way, sort of celebrating uh, the Christian community in Eretz Yisrael. And the question was, can you get Hanoah from this stamp? Right? Can you put this stamp on your letter? And again, Rebel Yoshev says, it's just an image. It's, it, yes, it doesn't have, it doesn't carry within it the the weight uh, the 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 fear the sense of pushing Jesus upon us. However, that doesn't mean Rebel Yoshev was ready to join the Weisenthal Center as the rabbinical advisor, because he does, of course, say that that one should not, if possible, uh, you know, stare at the images of a church. That one should should uh, walk away from them. So I think these psalms are really, in a way. A, a, a microcosm, really, of what we've been talking about. Amen. Jonathan Sachs, we need your your articulate, mellifluous voice that was able to, to have this syncretic ability to give over these ideas. But Rebel Yashiv, we need the purity of your psak. We need the Havana. We need your brilliance. We need your Shlit al Kola Ah, Chaval al Take care. We'll catch you, Mirza Hashem. Hopefully, thank you, Rabbi Tzok. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.